And so if you've been with us the last few weeks, you know that we've been in this series called Famous Last Words, where we're looking at the last words of Jesus Christ in his final hours on this earth before he died and rose again. And um, starting off, we looked at Jesus' words where he prayed to his father, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And we talked about how that was a word of forgiveness for people and a forgiveness for us. And then we heard him say to the thief on the cross, Today you'll be with me in paradise. And we saw how that was a word of salvation. And then last week we looked at probably the toughest words on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we talked about how those, even though they're hard words, they're also words filled with hope for us. And today, we come to the shortest set of words that Jesus said on the cross. And so if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to open up to John chapter 19. John chapter 19, and if um, you want to use your phone, feel free to do that, um, to to download it there. Or if you don't have a Bible, um, we have free Bibles for you at the Welcome Center. So on your way out today, we'd love for you to grab one or on the way into worship next time. It's the same version that I usually preach from. And so now we're moving to John's gospel. And John in chapter 19, beginning in verse 28, in these final moments of Jesus' life, he tells us this. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. And a jar of wine vinegar was there. So they soaked a sponge in it. They put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and they lifted it to Jesus' lips. And when he received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. I am thirsty. Those are the words I want us to Look at this morning. Maybe you grew up reading the King James Version of the Bible and you know it this way. I thirst. These words are a little different than some of the other words we've heard Jesus say on the cross, but they're not, they're not really that surprising, right? Because like we talked about last week, Jesus was on the cross for about six hours. And while Jesus was fully God, Jesus was also fully human. And so he was on the cross for six hours with nothing to eat, with nothing to drink. And so you can imagine he would have had this thirst. But beyond that, before Jesus went to the cross, he was flogged. And so usually that that meant leather strips with pieces of metal tied up in them, hitting his back. And so his back would have been bleeding. He, He would have been bleeding profusely. And according to Dr. Colleen Schreier, who's a professor of physiology at Azusa Pacific University, she says this, that this loss of blood would have caused his blood pressure to fall. And when his blood pressure falls, his body would have been attempting to remedy this imbalance. And so his body's natural reaction would have been to thirst, to to crave water, because if he would have had water, it would have helped his blood volume increase. And so we see Jesus thirsting on the cross, but we find that he doesn't get water Instead, what does he get? Wine vinegar. He gets wine vinegar, and that kind of makes sense because that's what was there. That was a common drink during that time for soldiers and for common people. It'd probably be pretty nasty to us today, a bitter-tasting, vinegary drink. But that's what they were used to, and so they had a bottle there. They heard him say, I'm thirsty. And so they dipped a sponge in it, put it on the end of a hyssop plant, 
and lifted it up so that it could touch his lips and so that he could drink a little bit of it. And in between that moment, when Jesus tasted that wine vinegar on his lips and the moment in which he, he breathed his last, that moment in which he died, I don't think Jesus was surprised that he was tasting wine vinegar instead of water. Jesus wasn't surprised that it was wine vinegar because this is something that had been talked about for ages. Because something deeper was going on here in John's gospel. John, when he gives us these stories and these scenes, oftentimes there's more going on than meets the eye. And so when we see this reference to wine vinegar and Jesus saying, I am thirsty, we actually find him doing something he did in the words we looked at last week. Last week we saw when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That that was actually a reference to Psalm 22 verse 1. And here, when he says, I am thirsty, he's also pointing us backwards to the Psalms, to words written many, many years before. And so when he says, I am thirsty, John says he said that according to fulfill Scripture. And when we look at the Scripture that he was fulfilling, we we find two passages, Psalm 22 and one in Psalm 69. And we have these passages here for you. And in Psalm 22, verse 15, he says this. My mouth is dried up like a pot shard, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me, and a pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. And then the psalmist writes this in Psalm 69, 21. They put gall in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst. And by pointing us back to these verses in the Psalms, Jesus is basically telling us, This isn't a surprise to me. What's happening to me is something that has been planned for a long, long time, planned for the redemption of the world. You might not know what you're doing in this scene, but I know what I'm doing. I know that I'm fulfilling the mission that my Father has given to me. I am laying my life down willingly for my sheep. I am fulfilling these Old Testament Prophecies that pointed towards a Messiah, one that would come and save the world. And when I look back at these Old Testament passages and think about how Jesus is pointing us backwards, I actually think back to another passage in the Bible where Jesus was thirsty. Does anybody remember another time in Jesus' life when he was thirsty? Do what? The 40 days in the wilderness? Yeah, he was thirsty there. When he came across the Samaritan woman at the well, yeah. Both of these are instances where Jesus was also thirsty. We see this thirst. And I I come back to that that passage in John chapter 4, where Jesus is at the well in Samaria, in a town called Sychar. And what we find there in John's gospel is another instance where Jesus is thirsty. And it's the middle of the day, it's probably hot. And so he goes and he sits by Jacob's well. And as he's sitting there, he has this encounter with a Samaritan woman. And now one of the cool things about Jacob's well is that it's actually still there today. The well is still there in the Middle East. And so when Emily and I were in the Holy Land, we actually got to go and visit it. And it still has water in it today. Isn't that crazy? 
This well of Jacob, this well that Jesus drank from, is still there. And now they've built a church over this. And so the well is in the basement. And I have a picture of the church here. And this is some of the iconography in the church. It's a Greek Orthodox church that's on top of the well. And so you can see um, some pictures down here of disciples and some other women who are holy. And um, you see Jesus. And then at the top picture on the roof, you see this image of Jesus with the Samaritan woman at the well. And when we were there, our tour guide, who, who gave us so much information that it was hard to process the whole time, context, culture, and history, he told us that a lot of times what we don't realize when we read this story is that Jesus and this woman are at the well in the middle of the day. And that wasn't a common time for women to be at the well. Because women typically gathered at the well early in the morning, in the cool of the day. But this woman is at the well in the midst of the hottest point of the day. And this woman is a Samaritan and Jesus is a Jew. And those two groups didn't get along in history. And oftentimes they didn't interact. So we see this interesting interaction here. And the Samaritan woman, she actually begins to call Jesus out on this and be like, what are you doing? And so in John chapter 4, or John chapter 4 we read this. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father, Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And then proving that he was greater than Jacob and all of his sons, Jesus does something pretty spectacular. He reveals to the woman that he knows all about her past. And so he reveals to her that she's actually had five husbands. It's an awkward revelation for Jesus to give you. And he reveals to her that the man she's currently with isn't even her husband. And so this woman is kind of astounded and she recognizes Jesus as a prophet. And this fact about her that she's had all of these different relationships explains why she's at the well in the middle of the day when no one else is there. Because she's been shunned by these other women and she's been shunned by society for these things. But Jesus, when he encounters her, he doesn't run from her. He doesn't go away from her. Instead, he stays with her. And he reveals to her who he is. And he says to her, I am the Christ. I am the Messiah. I am the one who is able to quench your deepest thirst. Those longings you have for acceptance and love that you've been finding and trying to find in all of these different relationships that haven't worked out, I can quench that thirst. These spiritual longings she had for hope and for a future and this, this, this innate sense that she had that there was more to this life than could meet the eye, Jesus said, I am the fulfillment of that. I can quench that deep spiritual thirst you have. And so this woman recognized Jesus. 
She had an encounter with living water. And then what did she do? She went out and she told other people in the village. She said, come and see. And so people came. They saw, they met Jesus. They had an encounter with him, living water. And then they went and told other people. I mean, it's a, it's a beautiful scene. It's a beautiful scene. It's one I love to come to again and again in Scripture. And I think what this scene teaches us, along with Jesus on the cross, is that Jesus experienced thirst in this world so that he could quench our deepest thirst. Jesus experienced thirst in this world so that he could quench our deepest thirst. You see, Jesus, he thirsted for milk as a baby when he came in this world. You ever think about that? He was fully human. Jesus thirsted for water in the hot sun. Jesus thirsted for people to know the deep love he had for them. And Jesus thirsted to fulfill the mission that his father had given him. To live, to die, and to rise again, to rescue and redeem this world. Jesus did all of that. He thirsted so that you and I might have our deepest thirsts quenched. And one of the cool things about Jacob's well, as I said earlier, is that there's still water in it today. And so you can actually drink that water. And so we were down there in the basement of this building. There was no, no cameras allowed down there. And it looks like a well you'd imagine. And then there's a bucket and a rope. So they would let down the bucket. They would pick up the pail of water and they would pour water into a basin. And then there was a little cup that you could drink from. Everybody could drink from the same cup. And so while we were there, I walked up to the cup, and I was about to take a drink, and I looked at Emily, and she had this look in her eye like, I know you're not about to drink that cup of water, because who knows if the water is safe to drink, and who knows how many people's lips have touched that cup, and who knows what's going to be happening to you at 3 o'clock a.m. if you drink that water. And so being the good husband that I am, you know what I did? I looked at her, I acknowledged her thought, and then I, I drank the water anyway, which maybe that's, maybe that's not a good husband. Um, I, I drank a little bit of the water, and I didn't drink the water because I was physically thirsty in that moment, but I drank a little bit of that water as really a symbolic act, uh, an act of solidarity, of coming together around this well where people for thousands of years have gathered. People of all different cultures and backgrounds and, and languages have come and have drunk. All of us had come there, people who, who shared a thirst, physical thirst in our shared humanity. But all of us had also come there with deep spiritual thirsts inside of us. Thirst that God has placed in us because everybody in this world is created in the image of God. And because of that, all of us deep down, we thirst for a number of things but there are three things that I think that we all thirst for as people. And the first thing that we thirst for is community. We thirst for community and to be connected with other people. The second thing we thirst for is love. To be fully known and fully loved. And to share love with other people. That's something God has put in our heart. And the third thing that each of us thirsts for is a sense of purpose in this world. And so all of us who'd gathered there, 
We were gathered around that well, bringing with us those shared spiritual thirsts that God has placed inside of us. And at that well, we remembered that Jesus is the only one who can truly quench all of those thirsts that are deep inside of us. See, Jesus, I don't know if you've ever thought of this, Jesus lives in eternal community. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are a community. And Jesus, when we have a relationship with Him, He invites us to be a part of that community. Jesus calls us His friends, and Jesus is the truest friend, the deepest friend, who will never leave us nor forsake us. He is the fulfillment of that deep desire that we have for community inside of our lives. But not only that, He's also the fulfillment of that deep spiritual thirst we have for love. Because on the cross, we see that Jesus loves us unconditionally. Jesus loves us freely. He loves us sacrificially. He knows the depths of your heart. He knows exactly what you've done, who you are, all of your history. Like we saw with the Samaritan woman, he knows all of your relationship history. Think about that. Scary for some people, isn't it? But he loves you the same. He sees the depths of your hearts and he loves you. He is the fulfillment. He is the one who can quench that deep spiritual thirst when you have acknowledged his love and you've received it into your life. But not only that, he also fulfills that deep purpose, that deep sense of purpose that we long for and we desire in our lives because Jesus is the one who gives us our purpose. Jesus tells us that our purpose is to love God and to glorify him and to love other people, and to serve them. Jesus thirsted so that we could have our deepest thirsts quenched, and they're all quenched in Him. But what we do in this world, people who who know Jesus and who've tasted living water, and people who've never tasted living water, what we do is we try to quench those thirsts with other things. And so sometimes we try to quench our thirst with with good things. Sometimes we try to quench our thirst with not so good things. But all of these things ultimately come up short for us because Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of those thirsts. So I want to do a quick poll. Who in here has a pet? Anybody in here have a pet, dog, cat? Okay. I want to let you know I've been waiting for this moment in my sermon. I got a puppy on Friday. I got a puppy. I think we have a picture here of him. There he is. Actually, he's here today. Y'all, welcome Henry. Let's not make a... Oh, there he is. Okay, here's Henry. Here is, here is little Henry. He's eight, he's eight weeks old, and uh, he's so quiet. He's, he's a pretty chill dog right here. He's named Henry after Henry County, where Emily and I started our life together after we got married. Um, so everybody waved, waved to Henry. Y'all waved to him. He's awesome. He's an awesome dog. Okay, that's it for Henry now. You can find him after the service outside. So I've been reading all these dog books lately. Caesar. Y'all know Caesar? (laughs) Yes. You know the sound. Caesar, also known as the dog whisperer. And this is probably the first and the last time I will ever quote Caesar in one of my sermons. But I'm going to do it this morning because I have a new puppy and I can do that. I can quote Caesar. Caesar says this. And I think he's referring not just to dogs, but to other pets. He says, dogs help us experience a deeper kind of connection 
not just with animals, but with other humans in our lives and with ourselves. And I agree with him here, that pets can, can be a gift from God. They, they move us beyond ourselves, away from just looking at ourselves and focusing on ourselves all the time, and they move us towards other people. And now Emily and I have already been communicating uh, better, maybe, I don't know if the word's better, but we've been communicating more as we're trying to figure out how to raise this dog together. And dogs can be great companions and great friends, but I want you to see is that Henry was not created to fulfill the deepest spiritual longing for community that I have in my heart. Because Henry is ultimately going to let me down in this world. Henry, he, he, might, he might run away one day, on purpose or on accident, I don't know. Henry, he, he's not going to live forever. One day he's going he's gonna to leave our life. He's a gift of joy. He is a, a gift of companionship. But he wasn't created to fulfill that deep spiritual thirst that I have for community. Only Jesus can fulfill that deep thirst. And we do this with our spouses and with people we love. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. We have this deep spiritual thirst for love, to be known and loved. And so sometimes what we do is we look to people we love and we expect them to love us freely and to love us unconditionally, and to never have to apologize. We expect them to to love us perfectly all of the time and to never let us down. But guess what? That is a burden that people cannot wear because people are ultimately going to let us down. At times, their love is going to fail and there's going to be apologies. But Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of that desire we have for love because Jesus is always going to love us no matter what. He is that eternal source of love that will never let us go. And it's the same thing with our sense of purpose in this world. A lot of us, what we do is we look to our careers for our sense of purpose. And and we think, hey, I'm doing great stuff. If I just get that next promotion, then this deep thirst for significance and purpose in my life, then it's going to be satisfied. And so we get the promotion, we get a little more, more money, and guess what? It's like salt water. We're thirsty for more. It makes us more thirsty. And then we we get the promotion, we get the raise. Maybe we're doing great kingdom work for God. We get the bigger house. But that thirst still isn't ultimately fulfilled because Jesus is the only one who can ultimately quench that deep thirst inside of us. St. Augustine once said this, Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in God. And I would say, this about Jesus, that our deepest thirst will never be quenched until they're quenched by Jesus. But here's where it gets interesting. Because after Jesus thirsted in this world, after he thirsted on the cross, after he fulfilled that mission and he rose again, he went to his disciples And he said this, he said, hey guys, soon I'm going to be ascending into heaven. And now it's your job to go and share living water with other people. Now that you've experienced my love, now that you have me inside of you, now that you've tasted this living water, go and share it with other people. That's your mission. And basically Jesus was telling them, look, now that I and my body are ascending into heaven, You are the body of Christ in this world. Now that that my hands 
with these scars in them are, are going up to heaven. Now you are to be my hands. Now you are to be my feet. You are to be my hands and my feet in the body of Christ offering this living water to other people in this world, pointing other people to me and how I can fulfill their deepest thirst and desires in life. That's our calling as a church, to go and to share that living water with other people. And so as a denomination, the United Methodist Church, we help support people's physical thirst being quenched. And so we, we spend money and we have a lot of efforts providing clean access to drinking water and digging wells in remote areas so that people have their physical thirst quenched in the name of Jesus. But we don't only just help quench physical thirst, we also are called to help quench the spiritual thirst of people, to help people know the love of Jesus Christ, to help connect people into community, community that points to Jesus, to help people experience and learn about their purpose in life. That's our calling as a church, and, and we're doing that. I don't know if she's here. Is Cindy Smith here today? No? Okay. She's going to be horrified that I, I used her as an example, and she's not here, because she's here like every Sunday. Cindy leads Grief Share on Monday nights, and Grief Share is a class for people who've experienced recent losses in their life. And what they're doing in that class is ultimately... They're reminding people that God loves them even in the midst of pain and oftentimes tragedy in their lives. They're pointing people to Jesus and that he is the ultimate fulfillment of that desire for love and he can comfort them in that time of hardship. And then we have our new American Sign Language classes which kicked off a couple weeks ago. They're on Monday nights, 7 o'clock. You can come tomorrow. And these classes... They're helping connect people in community, to connect people in the body of Christ, to connect people with Jesus, to, to point people, hey, look, we were created for community, and here's a taste of it, but the ultimate community is with Jesus. That's our role as a church, to help people see that Jesus is the fulfillment of all of these thirsts and to help fill their cups. And God has called us to do that in many unique ways as individuals. And this morning, I want to invite up Joel and Whitney Pash, who are going to share with us one way that they're helping do this in, in their lives through um, the gifts that God has given them. And um, Joel and Whitney, let me grab the microphones over here. And now, y'all have been a part of the church for how long now? Y'all have a seat. I'll grab the stool. Okay. Um, we started coming to Harvest Point, I think, in February of 2016. Okay, nice. And so they've been, they've been connected here. They've been growing. And um, recently, God has placed on y'all's heart a way um, to help people maybe just say quench their spiritual thirst, to do something new and, and different um, so tell us what it is that, that God has put on y'all's heart and, and what you have coming up in your lives. Well, as many of you know, um, my parents were killed in a car accident um, January of 2017, and boy, did our lives change, um, good, bad, and otherwise. And it's hard to imagine that good came out of anything so tragic, but it did. Um, and so Joel and I have... Um, 
moved into my parents' house. It was a house I grew up in, but we also inherited 20 acres of um, land. And when I grew up, we had cows and the mm. whole nine yards. And so Joel and I, um, in taking ownership of the land, have just kind of, I don't know, just felt a whole new sense of purpose. It's different for those of you who have gardens and things like that, you kind of get what I'm talking about. When you have an ownership in land, you kind of feel a different responsibility. And so um, one day, I think we were coming back from the beach, Joel and I said, we've got to do something. We've got to do something with this land that we've been gifted with. And so we have decided to open up our 20 acres um, for a weekend um, retreat for families um, free of charge. And we have pastors booked and um, musicians that are ready to play. And we want people to come and commune in, in nature with, with God and with us and hopefully um, to reconnect as families. Mm. So usually I let Whitney talk and then I mm -hmm. try to get my two cents in. <laughs> but um, so through all that tragedy, um, the one thing that we knew and were 100% sure of was that God was with us, number one. Hmm. Um, we could feel it physically. We could feel the prayers physically um, kind of lifting us up. So, you know, talking about Jesus and what a horrendous situation that had to be. Um, but what, what grace and love came out of that um, horrendous situation, I think, is kind of where um, we are in looking to Christ as the example mm. to kind of um, help other people be there. Mm. Um, and also, you know, I think a lot of times when we're searching and thirsting for uh, God, we look in all kinds of different places. Mm -hmm. um, we try all different kinds of things, but I think the one place that we forget to look sometimes is just being outside mm -hmm. in nature. Um, if you look through throughout the stories of the Bible, um, many times God is encountering us in nature. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, church is certainly a great place. And I'd be remiss to say you can't find God in church. But I think sometimes that, you know, we need to do a better job of um, looking for God in nature. I mean, the mm -hmm. John's gospel today talks about the hyssop branch. And, you know, kind of the connection from man to Jesus was a part of nature. Mm. Um, and the hyssop branch was also used back in the Old Testament, mm -hmm. too, with um, uh, the Passover. Mm -hmm. So there, you know, I mean, I, I just think there are little intricacies all through the Bible that kind of are the uh, mm. code, if you will, to um, have us just be able to sit and enjoy God's creation outside yeah and so i know that's one thing is connecting with god and nature for families and then also um, one of the things people are thirsting for like i've talked about with y'all is is for families to be closer and to have relationships centered on jesus christ and um, as we were talking on the phone you talked about having people's cups filled up again um, and so um, they're going to be hosting this weekend um just a, as a as a, a personal ministry of theirs of of making taking something um, that was tragic and using it
for good and to point people to Jesus. Um, so as a church, um, Whitney and Joel, what can we do, what can we do to help y'all? Well, I think first and foremost, obviously, um, just pray. Um, it's, pray for good weather. <laughs> yes. Um, but also, um, you know, we, we're, we've kind of coined the term of voices in the wilderness. Um, I feel like we're all in the wilderness and in various stages of our faith journey. And sometimes God's voice is easy to hear. Sometimes it's a little bit um, muted. And so if you could pray, we would also accept any um, one of the things that we wanted to definitely kind of limit was the um, lack of equipment. Like, so I don't want people not to be able to come because they don't own a tent. So if you um, own a tent and wouldn't mind letting somebody borrow it, and I guess I could should probably preface that by saying we're targeting, we want to make this a kind of an annual event and so this is our guinea pig session and we told Jonathan mm. the same thing we're seeing what it needs what it takes to make this successful and so we really have a heart for youth um, Joel and I are both in the school system and so um, we're just testing this out on families who have students up to fifth grade um, we know lots of kids who are in middle and high school, but it's very hard to structure, you know, lessons and small groups and things like that when you have such a wide array of ages. So what we wanted to do was this first time is families up through um, fifth grade. And so I basically sent an invitation for people that I know on Facebook, but I don't mm. also want people to think that that's who it's limited to. Mm. Um, right now we have about 20 families that, that have signed up and are taking advantage of this weekend. So back to Jonathan's question, we need prayer. We need the use of um, tarps and tents and things like that. Um, any other kind of resources that you can give, um, you know, that's basically what Water we potties. need. You got well, we've, we've got that taken care of. Thank yeah. You. Yes, we have Portaloos taken care of. Um, so, um, all of, I, I don't know what else. Um, the other thing, you know, if you can't think of a way to serve and just want to come fill your cup up, I mm. hear there's going to be some pretty good preaching there. So, mm. I think this guy's coming one day. I'm going to um, come one day. And, uh, and it, the weekend is May... May 18th, 19th, May and 20th. 18th, 19th, and 20th. So... Um, if, if you and your family are interested in, in connecting with God kind of off the grid in a different way, um, without, without technology and microphones and anything like that, um, this, is, this is something that they're, they're, they're hosting. And they're just saying, hey, look, God has called us as a family to reach out with his love in this unique way. And so they're stepping out in faith. Um, so we want to encourage them. And um, after the service, they're going to be available. If you have questions or, or want to talk with them more, and um, I want to I want to say a prayer for y'all right now, if that's okay, um, as you kind of uh, go on this journey together. So let's let's pray. God, we um, we ask that you would bless the Pash family. Um, God, as they've simply opened up their eyes and said, "How can we help other people know you and your Son Jesus?" And God, this this vision has been revealed to them. And God, there's a lot of logistics and other things to take place, um, but their hearts are open. And so we pray that you would send people to them, that, um, that you want to be there, God, that you would help uh, grow families closer to you, God, that you would help fill up people's cups through this experience, and that ultimately people would have a taste 
of living water. So we thank you for those things and ask your blessing upon them this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you all for, for sharing with us. And they'll be around after the service um, to talk more. And one of the reasons why I wanted them to come up and to share today is because I want you to see that God is calling us as a church to do different things, but God is also calling us as families. God is calling us as individuals to help quench people's deep thirst with our past experiences and with our present circumstances. And, and so for the past family, this is going to require a lot of logistics and a lot of setup, a lot of different things. But for you, reaching out and being the hands and feet of Christ for somebody, offering a cup of living water might simply be picking up the telephone and giving somebody a call. Or it might be taking one of these invitations for Easter and giving it to your neighbor who, who's been going through a rough patch. I don't know exactly how God is calling you as an individual to take part in this mission, but he is. He's calling you people who've tasted living water to go and to share it with other people. And I also know this, that God is calling you if you've never tasted this living water, if you feel like you have all of these thirsts that haven't yet been quenched, God is calling you to come to him and to begin a relationship with Jesus and to taste this living water for yourself. And so this morning as we stand and we sing our final song, I'm going to invite you as you worship to, to pray and to ask God, God, how do you want to use me? How do you want to use my family to help quench all of the many thirsts that people have in this world. And if you feel like you haven't ever had those thirsts quenched, I'm going to be down front here. I'd love to talk with you and pray with you. And so I invite you to stand now and sing with